Hello everyone and welcome to HR Bites, a podcast and video series to bring you stories of HR professionals who bring a think globally and act locally digital HR agenda to their work. Everyday people who are driving digital transformations in their organizations, data-driven and future-fit digital HR leaders. My guest today is Sai Islam. Welcome to the show Sai. How are you today? I'm doing great. Wonderful. Uh, hope you're doing well. Yes, I am. Thank you for asking. So, Sai, you've been in a variety of roles in human resources for over 10 years now, and you are the co-founder and vice president of consulting with Talent Metrics. In addition, you're also an associate professor at SUNY Farmingdale. And, you know, you do a lot of work in the people analytics field, uh, which is right now uh, what every HR professional wants to learn and know. How has the past uh, year been for you in your function? Well, much like everybody else, it's it's been changing. It's ever changing. And, you know, uh, a lot of the things that have happened over the past year in, in the pandemic, people were predicting, oh, it'll be, you know, in the next five years, by 2025, all of these changes are going to happen. And what we've seen now is that, you know, because of the pandemic, it's taken HR tech adoption to a new level. Uh, we're all, you know, those of us who can, we're all remote working. Even if you're still working in, you know, face-to-face, customer-facing role, uh, you're using new technology, you're using new uh, devices, you're, you know, your procedures are all different. And a lot of things that have been kind of coming to the forefront over the last few years have been pushed forward. And so uh, it's been it's been a wild year for, you know, without without a doubt. Uh, and, and that's what we're seeing out, out here in, in the world is that we're helping a lot of companies kind of grapple with these changes to remote work and the need for people to do it uh, mediated through technology. Absolutely. And I like the use of the word wild there. It definitely was like the wild, wild west for a while, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it felt like that, yeah. certainly. We didn't know it, what it we were doing. It still feels like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In a way, yes, it still does. <laughs> Especially if you're traveling across the globe in the midst of this, which I did twice already. Oh, uh, it, it does feel like the wild, wild west. It's a whole mm. new world out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Sai, you have won the Society for Industrial Organizational Psychology's Scientist Practitioner Presidential Recognition Award, one of the most coveted awards in PSYOP. Uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, you know, journey towards that award and, and what made them give it to you. Uh, so, <laughs> funny enough, one of my interns saw the, you know, they, they, had, they had requested applications for this award and, or nominations rather. And uh, one of my interns nominated me. I, I actually didn't nominate myself and it, she just did it. And I was uh, lucky enough to to get that award. That was um, uh, an award from a couple of years ago when uh, president, uh, the president of SIAP, Talia Bauer, uh, she had kind of uh, wanted to bring greater recognition to those who are working in SIAP that are, you know, kind of working between the world of science and the world of HR practice and kind of bridging that gap. And as, as you mentioned earlier in my in my bio, I, I wear a number of different hats uh, and each of those hats is, is, you know, kind of informed by science and by practice. And 
you know, the way that we, you know, kind of got through that journey to kind of winning that award was that, you know, over the over the years, I have, you know, uh, worked really hard to try to make sure that any practice that I'm a part of, that it is um, at least, you know, science-based in some regard. So, you know, we read through the research literature whenever we're developing interventions, whenever we're um, speaking to clients, we try to make sure that what we tell them is rooted in some sort of behavioral science. Uh, and that's sort of our commitment. And that's sort of been my training as well. So when I did my PhD um, in, in applied organizational psychology, that was there was a big focus on making sure that the things we talked about, the things we did, um, were very much rooted in, in that, that scientific practice. The, the hard part, of course, is when you read research articles, you can't always identify how you might use some of the scientific findings in the work that you do. Um, one of our big areas is in uh, talent development and training. And one area which uh, psychologists generally know quite a bit is how people learn and how to assess that type of learning. So that's been a big area of research for us and applied practice. And we've been lucky enough to work with some, some very large organizations and from some small organizations and helping them to evaluate the efficacy of their um, talent management programs. Uh, and so that that's a big reason why uh, I was considered for that award. Um, and then the other part of it is that uh, I've tried to advocate for uh, more evidence-based, more science-based practice whenever possible, whether it's with clients, whether it's with students, uh, whether it's on this podcast, I will say that, hey, everybody, you should use more evidence-based practice, um, mostly because the the way that HR professionals, you know, traditionally, like my, my actual background, I started working in HR um, before I started learning anything about science. And a lot of the stuff we talked about was, was best practice. And you would, you would talk about best practice in a variety of different settings. And, you know, best practice is good, but it's not always applicable. And I'll never forget, I talked with a, with a client once where, for some reason, they were very interested in what Zappos was doing with the holacracy. And the company was like a, a manufacturing firm, not, not like Zappos at all. And, you know, I remember asking them, well, why do you think that Zappos is a relevant comparison point for you? And we had a, a nice conversation where, you know, that idea of best practice, maybe it does work within this organization, but we need to kind of look at the context of your organization and the context of your, your HR function and see what works and why it works. And that's a big part of what we do um, at Talent Metrics is helping organizations figure out what works, why it works, and to kind of measure things year over year to see that kind of improvement. Well, congratulations on the award and thank you for thank giving you. me the backstory on it. Um, so, so what do you think has happened to our HR function in these past 10 months? You know, have you seen a rapid adoption of technology in our function or, you know, in, in the in the client uh, uh, industries that you work with? Have you seen a lot of tech adoption? What's going on? Yeah, I've seen a lot of tech adoption. And, and I think a lot of this is is uh, just forced by the by the pandemic. The easiest way to think about this is if you have children in school, right? anybody here is not really working in HR, but they've got kids and those kids are now dealing with all the different technology that they have to deal with um, in this in this transition. That is is the experience that I'm seeing is that organizations are, you know, uh, looking at a variety of different tech options and they're saying, okay, this looks good. This seems to address a problem that we have, and whether or not they integrate, you know, well, or whether people know where to find information has proven to be a big challenge. Um, you know, you used to be able to take, you know, for example, let's say you were 
you know, used to looking in a file drawer for information. Now you can't do that anymore. You needed to transmit that information into some digital format so that you can access it. And that's been a huge factor for many of the clients that we have is they're, they're kind of struggling with that. The other piece, not really a technology related piece, but um, still very relevant is the issue of safety. And some of that is, is tech oriented. So there are new safety protocols. Um, companies are using a lot more e-learning so that they can kind of quickly you know, push out um, new safety guidelines, new safety protocols. Those things are changing all the time. And many HR uh, departments are experiencing those changes and, and facing them pretty consistently. Absolutely. Um, I've seen that in my consulting work as well. And, uh, and across the globe, actually, in India as well, there's a lot mm-hmm. of the shift towards, you know, working mm-hmm. from home, obviously, because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. but also the data. How do they get mm-hmm. the data? And, you know, mostly, especially in India, there's a lot of paperwork mm-hmm. that's involved mm-hmm. when it comes to the HR function. So they're uh-huh they had to really pivot so quickly mm-hmm. and some of them could not. I mean, they just said, mm-hmm. okay, this is only, uh, this is how much we can do and this is what mm-hmm. we're going to do. Right. They can't yeah. do much. Yeah. So, yeah. And you know, if you're, if you're stuck with paper, that's, you know, and how do you convert all of that? Like there's only so much scanning we can do. Right. <laughs> right. And you're in a, pand- in a pandemic. There's no one to help you. No one's going to come out yeah. and do anything. You're kind of just stuck. Right. Yeah. But hopefully now people have realized that digital is the way to go forward. And this Mm -hmm. digital first agenda is primary Mm -hmm. to any business's survival in the future of work. Um, You worked with a lot of companies out here on the East Coast and across the United Mm -hmm. States. Um, What's uh, one piece of advice you have for HR technology professionals who are looking to learn new technology or adopt new technology? So it's it's a very that's a very interesting question to ask because it's something that um, is really important to the work that uh, I do in in my own consulting, and that the main question I always ask whenever you're doing any sort of tech adoption or even if you're planning on on adopting a training or any type of intervention is does this address the business problem that we have, right? A lot of times, uh, you know, business decisions we tend to think business decisions are made in a very pragmatic financially focused kind of way. But, you know, I've been working in in a variety of organizations for, you know, many years. And one thing you notice is that that people, people are still people, they make make decisions for all sorts of reasons, some of them uh, are better than others. And the one core question, especially if you're planning on implementing an HR technology, especially one that you're thinking like, okay, this thing could last beyond the pandemic, this is something we might want to keep up for longer, uh, is does this actually solve some sort of business need? Does this actually improve the life of the workers? Does it make things easier? Uh, one thing that I've I've often told clients is to think about, you know, repurposing existing technology or fully utilizing technology that they already have. Uh, one thing I've always noticed is, uh, you know, I worry that sometimes organizations and HR functions they end up, you know, purchasing a specific tool that is useful for one particular, you know, uh, particular solution or one particular problem, and they're not gonna use it for anything else, but they might already have that, uh, that particular problem solved in another setting. Uh, for example, I was talking to a friend of mine who runs a company, he has an HRIS software, and he was asking me about, um, you know, developing a performance management tool. And my first response to him was, well, what does your HRIS already offer? 
right? Why build a new tool if there's already something inside of your current technology that you can use? And the conversation we had about that is, is sort of, you know, reminded me a lot of how we tend to think about our, our cell phones. Like our cell phones can do so much, but we probably get like, what, 25% of, of utilization from the tools that we have in, in the phone itself. Um, you know, we don't want to have that sort of utilization when it comes to, um, you know, HR technology. And for any clients that we work with, I always like to tell those clients, you know, be tough on us. Let us know, like, if we can do more, if we, you know, if there's something else that you need, you know, we're, we're happy to provide that. And I would suggest to any HR uh, vendor before, or HR department, before you reach out to a new vendor, see what your existing vendor can do for you. Absolutely. It's like that, um, uh, you know, I always use this Swiss army knife analogy. <laughs> you know, we never use all parts of the Swiss army knife. We only use the mm -hmm. knife. We don't use the corkscrew. We don't use the tweezers, yeah. none of that, yeah. but we carry it around with us because it comes with the, you know, this, the knife. Yeah. Right. And we're like, absolutely. It, it's just that with our technology too, we buy this mm -hmm. entire big legacy system. We only use maybe half a module or module and the rest of it yeah. is, just left lying there and we can't yeah. get rid of it because we've invested so much money into it right yeah. and we can't we can't move with it we can't scale up with it mm. so, great advice that is also a problem yeah absolutely and and so if you've already especially if you're if you if there's some sunk cost associated with that that technology it you're better off just thinking about well what can i do with this thing how can i maximize it you know what else can it provide me that i may be able to address and you know, I've never met a vendor that didn't want to send, sell an add-on. So there's never going to be a time where the, they're going to be like, no, I don't, I don't want to think about this potential add-on for, for what you want to do. And in other cases, you might find that there's a smaller vendor that's, that's providing exactly what you need, and then the add-on becomes important. So, you know, going back to that business problem and making sure you're addressing it, very, very important. Absolutely. And, you know, you've uh, done a lot of work with data. Of course, mm -hmm. your primary area is people analytics. And, and there is a sub area of that and where there's a sentiment analysis involved where that's how uh -huh. you and I met, actually. And, uh -huh. and chatbots nowadays are trying to analyze sentiments by, you know, mm -hmm. reading all the data, anonymous data, mm -hmm. of course. Mm -hmm. um, tell us a little bit about that technology and how that's working for HR. So HR is is trying to use this primarily. My, my experience has been in the engage, employee engagement space. So what HR uh, departments sometimes request of us is we'll run an engagement survey for them, and we'll ask them, you know, to uh, we'll we'll basically analyze the data for comments, common comments, and then we'll analyze it for positive and negative wording. So uh, this varies from organization to organization. Uh, because language is different from organization to organization. So certain terminology, certain uh, language that we talk about, that we uh, use in one setting is not necessarily, you know, uh, considered positive or negative in another setting, right? So if you think about uh, different catchphrases or different acronyms that might get used within your organization, especially in HR, um, for example, something like COBRA, right? <laughs> Co COBRA for HR is just pretty normal, fairly neutral term, but in any other context, we, that's a very scary word. So not, not only in America, but you know, if you use it globally, right, they, there is no Cobra outside of America. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So cross-cultural issues also yeah. very, very important, right? Yeah. Um, I, I always laugh about this because the word pants in the UK 
refers to something very different than what it does in the USA, right? So you got to be careful when you talk about that. And so when we do sentiment analysis, one of the things we ask companies to help us with is to generate a dictionary. So we ask them, tell us what words you use, let us know whether or not they're positive or negative, and if there's any unique jargon, uh, please tell us what that is. And so we analyze um, phrases and comments, usually in, uh, in survey data around that. Uh, sometimes we will also use social media data to uh, analyze what people are saying about an organization or a company. Um, you know, and in, in some cases, uh, we'll kind of score the data and we'll say, here's how positive, here's how much positivity there is in it. Here's how much negativity there is within your organization, in addition to providing traditional uh, engagement survey metrics. Uh, what some organizations are trying to do with chatbots is, you know, they're trying to make the process a little bit more efficient. And they're trying to remove some common questions from an HR professional's plate. So it's sort of like an FAQ page, but it's, you know, like, okay, I know the chatbot knows that there are common questions about filling out, you know, about eligibility, signing up for benefits. Here, I can answer the following questions for you. Uh, in terms of sentiment analysis, you know, sometimes organizations will also, you know, they will, uh, you know, look at how people are talking about projects within, you know, project management software, or, you know, they'll, they'll look at performance appraisals and they'll look at the kind of language that gets used to describe employees or supervisors to identify talent. Uh, and there's a variety of different applications to sentiment analysis. The really important thing to do is, of course, to define what terms are important and be careful about how you're using that, that, uh, that technology. There was some, um, concern last year when Microsoft announced that they had a, um, they have a, they have a new analytics tool called My, My Analytics that they released uh, middle of last year, which allows employees to kind of figure out their own working schedules and working habits. Prior to that, they had mentioned that they were thinking about uh, letting organizations um, identify how engaged employees were based on you know, email frequency and, and language that was used. And that might be a little bit on the edge of creepy. And so there was some pushback about that. And I don't know when Microsoft is gonna release something like that, but that's also a possibility. Um, I wrote a little blog post about that idea. And you know, if you're gonna be evaluating what people are writing, you really should tell them that, that you're going to do it and, and what it'll be used for. And it's better to have targeted data that asks about a specific thing, even in the written word, uh, rather than just looking at large amounts of, of text, it's harder to parse and it's harder to figure out what some of it means. Um, and it's also important to look at it over time. So people's attitudes uh, change over time. I mean, if you look at our, our COVID experience, we compared people's engagement in February of 2020 to you know, just, you know, June or even March, 2020, uh, it would be very, very different. And we would see some really different sentiment in there. Uh, so always targeted whenever possible. And and the AI for good movement definitely throws, you know, some of um, this logic <laughs> for a loop, right? Yeah. Where you yeah. can't use this data without really getting consent and without really, mm -hmm. uh, like you said, directing it to a particular mm -hmm. audience and a particular uh, topic. And that's probably the best way to go about it. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, there are a couple of really great researchers. Uh, Ruha Benjamin is one. She did a uh, did a talk about AI and you know the the way that AI can actually make power dynamics uh, worse. So, for example, if an organization views its leaders primarily uh, you know in male terms, then you know you may not get as many female leaders. 
Um, and then, uh, you know, Dr. Roman Chaudhary from Accenture also talks a lot about AI ethics, which is really important. A lot of times organizations and HR professionals, you know, they tend, you know, we tend to think about um, a computer or a device as being objective, right? But any of those tools, um, they're not objective because a human built it, right? Even, even you know, the most advanced algorithm, a, a person wrote it. So one thing that we see occasionally, and there's been a lot of research on this, that, you know, uh, if you're using sort of sentiment analysis or doing text mining and using that to do, like, let's say, screening resumes, uh, if you're not careful, sometimes uh, strange-sounding names end up counting against an applicant and can inadvertently remove them from a selection process. And that's not something that you necessarily want, both from a legal perspective and from a talent loss perspective. Absolutely. And, and you know, I get a lot of questions from applicants about what kind of bots are reading their resumes and how are they going to get selected? And, you know, there's a lot of apprehension around bots and, and resume reading, right? What advice do you have for applicants who are wary about bots reading their resumes? Well, um, the, the reality is that it, a bot may not be reading it, but what might happen is a um, your resume might get scored by some by an algorithm that's looking for a particular word, particular language. Uh, there isn't a whole lot that you know that can be done unless you really find out what the you know what the algorithm's doing. Um, but what you can do, and one thing I suggest to anybody that's applying to jobs now is it's best to mirror the language of the job description. So whatever the language is that's in the job description, you need to make sure that you uh, use some version of that language and that you also address every point so that you can show that, yes, this is I'm capable of doing you know X, Y, or Z, and I'm going to use the same language to illustrate that. It means that sometimes you're not going to be able to do a lot of um, volume applications. So for example, like, oh, I just sent my resume to like 100 places. But the problem with that one resume is that it's not tailored to a specific job. And one thing that um, this kind of, you know, forces applicants to do a little bit is to maybe be a little pickier about what jobs they're going to apply to. Uh, one thing that I've noticed about, um, you know, the LinkedIn and Indeedification of, of job search is that it's so easy to apply for positions. It's so fast that you can kind of lose the customized aspect of you know, the resume and the cover letter. And so uh, if you're really interested in a job, take the time to mirror the language that you see in the job description. And I believe that those bots, the, the scoring algorithms will be a little kinder to you in that process. Wonderful advice. On the flip side of it, what advice do you have for recruiters who are programming these algorithms to go through thousands of resumes? Uh, how do you think they should be going about programming the algorithm? So uh, my my suggestion to any recruiters is to really know what it is that you're that you want in the job, and that means you know doing a job analysis, getting your HR professional to help you to have a job analysis, or at the very least, competency model, so that you know what you're actually looking for. Um, you know, one of the challenges uh, for recruiters, and I I was a recruiter for for a number of years um, when I started my career. I think a lot of people that have, yeah. <laughs> You know, it, it this is what I tell my students. So, <laughs> That's how you start you know, you, <laughs> Yeah, it's like you, you, we have all these resumes. Please read them. Pick the ones you want to apply for, right? Um, so these are these are the types of, you know, things that, that many recruiters are faced with. And they're faced with, with staffing like a variety of positions. And they may not know. 
And this is why when organizations put out job requisitions, when they're thinking about hiring somebody, they should at least have a, a solid job description. One of the things I've noticed in job descriptions is either they're much too vague, uh, they're really broad, you know, like the, it, the job description could just read, we'd like somebody good. Would you? Would you like somebody good? Okay. Uh, or they're much too specific. And one of the other big challenges is getting the ex number of years of experience uh, right. Many organizations, um, you know, especially in a down economy, will push for higher years of experience because they feel like, oh, we can get, we can steal some talent and get somebody more experienced. Uh, one of the things we know from looking at some of the research is that, that years of experience doesn't necessarily correlate to better exactly. performance. Exactly. Or expertise, right? As someone, expertise. Had, this, someone had this meme, uh, number of years of experience does not equal experience or expertise does not. That's right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, I could have been in a job for a long time. It doesn't mean I was doing a great job at it. So. So setting those setting those guidelines so that you know what you're actually looking for and actually weighting the criteria. So a lot of recruiters, you know, when we're, you know, using HR technology, the, you know, the tech person, whoever's setting those algorithms, they depend on you or better yet, actual employees that are working in that position to provide you with, with input about what is the most valuable thing in this job. What, what is it that we really need somebody to do? And that's where the job analysis competency model process is really important because it tells the HR professional from not just from what they might imagine or what they might think about a job, but from an actual subject matter expert, here's what the job looks like, here's what we need, and then you can actually start to look for that in a resume. The other thing to remember is that the, you know, any algorithm that you're using to do resume screening, um, you know, it's only one tool. And so even after you do that first cut from those, you know, however many thousands of, thousands of applicants or hundreds of applicants, you're, you still need to make um, a decision from among those folks that are left and having a solid structured interview and maybe some objective uh, assessments can really help you to make a better decision. And there are um, enough interview technologies out there and other types of technologies out there that can make that process faster. Um, and, you know, that's really important for HR pros to really understand what is in this job and what is it that they need to do. I know that for, for recruiters, that uh, sometimes sounds like a big ask because um, they're overworked as it is, especially uh, I was just talking to somebody that's working in healthcare recruitment. That's a very, very difficult job right now. But if you want to make the process move more smoothly, investing a little time into that process, into the, into the pre-work will make it uh, much easier. The way that I like to think about it, and this is, it, it's funny I'm using this analogy because I'm not a good cook, but if you think about a recipe, right, you need to set the guidelines for what are the ingredients? What do I need before I even go to the store? So I have to make that list first, even if I'm just like, oh, I'll think, of, I'll figure it out when I'm at the store. But when you're at the store, you're going to look at all sorts of different things and say, oh, that looks good. That looks good. Maybe I'll throw a little bit of this in. But if you made that list first, it makes the process much easier. Absolutely. I'm sure you'll make a good prep cook <laughs> or sous chef. <laughs> sous chef. I, that's, I'm, I'm just good at chopping things. Just ask my wife. She's just like, oh, just chop these things and leave them here. You, that's what you know. my husband says too. So. <laughs> awesome. So now that brings us to the fun part of our conversation. Not that this was fun to know. It was. I'm geeked out. Uh, <laughs> so uh, rapid fire. Ready? Okay, fire. sure. 
Okay. Who is one person that you gained in your network in the past year that you think everyone should know in HR technology? So there, are two, there are actually two people that I think would be would be great to know. Um, the first is Dr. Arthi Shyam Sundar, who's a uh, you know an IO uh, person from India. She's wonderful. She's really great. Really a big expert in the DEI space. She's uh, big on Twitter. Uh, you can find her there, and she's very very bright. And I've I've known her a little bit longer than a year, but I really connected with her uh, recently. And then the second person is somebody local to me uh, on Long Island. Uh, her name is Shandy Arroyo, and she is. Um, you know, the education director at uh, Stony Brook University, um, you know, medical center. She does great work there. I've been volunteering with her a little bit with the Association for Talent Development. She's a really great expert, very bright and totally worth, um, you know, following on social media. And we'll link their accounts in the show notes for the audience. Thank you. What's your favorite HR podcast? Uh, besides this one, uh, let's <laughs> see. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I, there are two actually that I that I can think of off the top of my head. One is the Indigo podcast, uh, which is uh, Dr. Ben Barron and, and a couple of other folks talking about um, you know uh, science based practice and evidence based practice. Uh, really exciting podcast, uh, very helpful to me. You know, I, I get to hear a lot about other um, you know industry professionals and, and what they're doing. And then the second podcast is uh, the Department 12 podcast, which I like because there are a lot of different areas of uh, HR and IO psychology that get talk- talked about. Uh, there was a recent episode uh, that Dr. Ben Butina ho- hosted uh, that was about NASA and culture change at NASA. And you know, it's not really a common uh, area that we think about, but it's really cool. And as a huge nerd, learning about NASA is great. Absolutely, I'd love to listen to that one. Thank you. What's your favorite LinkedIn learning or e-learning webinar about HR tech that you sh- you think everyone in HR should really watch and learn from? And so I I think my favorite one is one that's that's relatively recent. I think it's been around for maybe a couple of years now. Is uh, Chris Rainey has an HR leaders podcast that he runs through his LinkedIn page, and I think that's a really helpful one. He gets some great people to come out and talk about um, some great issues in HR technology and HR analytics. Yep. Love Chris Rainey and the HR Leaders podcast. I think he's based out of the UK. So uh, yeah, 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 he is. Okay. Wonderful. We'll link the account in the show notes as well. So given the upheaval of all things work and life, what's one workplace trend other than the Zoom shirt that you think is here to stay? <laughs> um, you know, I think flexible scheduling. Um, I, I don't know if you remember this, you know, may, maybe I'm maybe I'm showing my age, but um, you know, I've been I've been working long enough to know that many organizations have sort of talked about, oh, you know, flexible schedules, remote working. That there seems like a nice idea, um, and I think that that is permanent. That's that's not going to change. That if you have the option, it, it, maybe you won't go back. Maybe it won't be like it is now, where we're we're at home and we have to stay at home. But I think the option will be there, and I think people's work schedules are going to change significantly because of that, especially now that you can work uh, remotely, you can work from home, you can work on your own schedule. What you might see is more synchronous work across time zones as well. Um, So if I'm working with somebody in India or China or the UK, I can now say, well, my work schedule looks like this and I can build my family life around that. And and we can kind of, you know, build around that and we can kind of create a new uh, workflow. 
So I think that that'll be the thing that'll stick around for good. Absolutely. And I know that you give back to the community and the HR community in, in a number of ways. And congratulations on be, being recognized by SUNY Farmingdale, I think yesterday or today, for your contribution to the student uh, professional development and project development at the university. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And how else do you give back to the HR community? Uh, well, I, I do a lot of volunteering uh, with the Association for Talent Development, and I do a lot of speaking uh, with SHRM chapters. So I have an upcoming talk in June with Central New Jersey SHRM. Um, I think, I don't know if I'm supposed to announce this now, but, uh, you know, SHRM New York City, I'll be doing a little talk with them for their uh, for their conference in April. So I'm, you know, I, I, I'm pretty easy. You know, you tell me a place and a time and I'll show up and I'll, I'll be happy to talk about uh, evidence-based practice and analytics. Um, and I, I think I also uh, spend a lot of time, you know, volunteering and, and helping to get people, um, you know, the right kinds of experts out there who can speak to using evidence-based practice. Uh, I think it's a really important thing uh, to do because especially for HR professionals, you know, in, in your training. So before I, before I went all data, I did an MBA in human resource management and was way before I did a PhD. And I, I know what HR, you know, traditional HR training looks like. And you get a little bit of, you get a little taste of data, but it can be intimidating along with all the other things that you're responsible for as an HR professional from employee relations to compensation and benefits to, you know, just day-to-day -day getting through, you know, um, you know, paperwork or even immigration. Um, there's a lot. And so asking now, uh, you know, HR professionals to say, hey, you know, in addition to that, we'd like you to learn some statistics you know, it, it, it might seem like a lot. And so one of the things that I like to do is I want to make sure that HR pros feel comfortable and confident that they know at least what to look for. They don't need to be able to run all the all the analytics, but they do need to uh, know enough that they can identify a good vendor and somebody that can actually help their organization to grow and to help their employees. Well, thank you so much for all the work that you do in the community and the HR community is ever so grateful for what you do. I am really grateful that you are out there helping us and I've always learned from you. So thank you for everything you do. And thank you so much. Of course. And thank you so much for being here today. Um, if our audience would like to connect with you online, what's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, so they can find, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, that's one way. Uh, I waste an enormous amount of time on Twitter. So um, my Twitter is at IOSI Islam. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure we can include that in the show notes. You can always reach out to me there. Um, and, you know, I'm happy to connect on LinkedIn, happy to talk to uh, to anybody about this. Uh, I don't know if everybody can tell I'm a big nerd. So I'm very passionate about all this stuff. And I really enjoy talking about this with, with anybody because it's, uh, it's important, you know, because when we learn to use data effectively and when we actually implement, you know, core HR practice, we can really create a much more uh, effective, healthy and fair work culture and, and work world. And on that note, I'm totally geeked out. Thank you for joining me today, Sai. And uh, audience, if you'd like to connect with Sai, please do. He is awesome and wonderful to connect with. And thank you for tuning in today. I look forward to bringing you more such global stories of HR tech professionals 